Hello, everyone, and welcome to NAC's post-election podcast. I'm Michaela Keller from NAC's Federal Affairs team, and I'm joined today by a couple of my colleagues, Oliver Spurgeon and Eliza Ausay, as well as our advocacy leader, Elizabeth Kwasnick. And we're so fortunate today to have a couple of guests join our podcast as well, Amy Kniff and Christy Martin, two of DC's leading health policy experts. Amy is a co-founder and principal at Split Oak Strategies, a lobbying firm here in DC. She began her career working on the Hill as committee staff on the Energy and Commerce Committee and went on to serve as chief health policy staff in the office of the speaker. Amy also worked in the George W. Bush administration as special assistant to the president for legislative affairs. Welcome, Amy. Thank you. Good to be here. And Christy is a senior vice president at Waxman Strategies, also a lobbying firm here in D.C. Christy is a veteran of HHS, having worked in a number of positions, including senior advisor in the office of health reform during the Obama administration. She also served as team lead, state analysis and oversight team in the Office of Personal Management. Thanks, Thanks, Michaela. So lots of great experience and expertise with us here today. We're thrilled to have you both join us. Um, So thank you so much. So before we get into our discussion with Amy and Christy, I'm going to turn it over to my colleague, Oliver, to give us a quick recap of what happened on election night, what we know and what we are still waiting to find out. So with that, I'll turn it over to you, Oliver. Thank you so much, Michaela. Uh, And that's a really good way to put it, what happened last Tuesday, and then also what is still actually happening. Uh, As most of you know, uh, Democrats actually took the House of Representatives back over. And so, so far, uh, they've gained 32 seats, currently sitting at 227 seats in the House of Representatives. And Republicans have lost 32 seats, and they currently stand at 199 seats. Now, there are still 13 races around the country that are still outstanding. They're still counting votes. Uh, Five of those are in California, and there are a whole host that are actually continuing to happen around the country. Uh, In the Senate, Republicans have actually stretched their lead a little bit, their majority in the Senate. They actually have gained three seats so far, uh, and there are three races still outstanding uh, down in Florida, over in Arizona, and then also in Mississippi. There's a a runoff after, uh, after Thanksgiving. So what are the big themes, what are the big takeaways from last week's election? For me personally, I'd say it's this, that healthcare was on the ballot and it really won the day. No matter whether they were Democratic candidates or Republican candidates, everyone seemed to be campaigning and talking about protecting pre-existing conditions and making sure that the health of the nation was really at the forefront of their candidacies and their elections. Uh, number two, Medicaid really flexed its muscle. Uh, They passed expansions of Medicaid in three states, Idaho, Utah, and Nebraska, and two pro-Medicaid governors actually took the reins as well, down in Kansas and in Maine. Uh, Number three, split government's going to continue going forward into the 116th Congress. We've got a Democratic-led House and a Republican-led Senate and a Republican-led White House. And so for a lot of folks, that equals gridlock. Uh, To the business community, that probably equals predictability. For folks who are worried about Medicaid or Medicare, that probably symbolizes some sort of crystallization and things are going to be pretty predictable going forward. And the number four, uh, party leadership. Uh, Democrats are really in flux. They've got a bunch of new members coming to the House on the Republican side in both the House and Senate. There is pretty much some predictability going forward. We know that Mitch McConnell is going to be leading in the Senate uh, and there's new leadership in Kevin McCarthy taking the reins in the House. So with that going forward, I'm going to turn it over to Michaela to continue our Q&A with our experts. Excellent. Thanks so much, Oliver. That's a great framework that we can work from in our discussion today. Before I turn it over to Amy and Christy, I did just want to say thank you to our advocates for submitting uh, questions in advance of our podcast. We are incorporating a lot of the answers to those questions 
um, into our questions and responses today, but certainly if you have further questions, don't hesitate to reach out to us. Okay, so let's get into it. Um, Amy and Christy, we'd love to hear from you both. What are um, maybe similar or different from Oliver? Some of your key takeaways from election night. What were you surprised by? Maybe what were you not so surprised by? Um, we'd love to hear a little bit about that. And maybe we can start with you, Amy. Sure. Happy to start. And thanks again uh, for everyone getting together to discuss this very exciting election. I think this is one of the most anticipated elections that certainly that I've been a part of. So it, it was really fun to watch and very interesting to see where the predictions landed, especially I think a lot of folks were looking at the pollsters and really questioning, can we have faith in pollsters? And for the most part, this election, they really seemed to to get a good handle about what was happening in the electorate. So it, that alone was sort of an interesting phenomenon. I think that Oliver pick, picked up on some of the very key dynamics that we certainly will need to continue to watch and be a part of um, as a very uh, important part of the agenda next year. Uh, but the community health centers certainly have a very powerful role to play, I think, it, given the landscape that has been shaped by this election. Um, one of the most important threads that I took away from the election results was that people seem to like divided government. So we know that we're a divided country. We know that we're also very closely divided if you look at the polls. And in many of the really difficult races that are still being challenged and still being um, ferreted out um, at this point in the cycle, um, it's very clear that those elections came down to one, and, and in many cases, less than 1% of the population. Um, so I think that gives us an important clue, which is that people tend to like um, divided government and tend to like a check on that government. Uh, I think another important thread, um, my background is on the Republican side of the aisle. So I will be watching in earnest to see how Republicans respond to this health care agenda and essentially uh, the very successful race that Democrats ran on the pre-existing condition front. And in particular, will they respond to that in a different way or will they revert back to their previous positions? Uh, for example, this morning I saw one House Republican who lost his election basically uh, pointed at, at McCain's no vote um, for repeal and replace as the reason why he lost his election. So I think most um, uh, most folks who pay close attention to health care would look at that and potentially take issue with that uh, with that finding. It will be important to see if that's a continuing thread. Do Republicans come back and say, in fact, the ACA is still something I will choose to be against? Or, in fact, um, will they look toward a more uh, uh, tailored path about how to make the ACA perhaps more responsive or more workable from their perspectives? So that's an important issue uh, that I will certainly be watching. I think one of the most important things that I think we can all take away from this election, however, is that in those races where Republicans and Democrats ran on a proactive health care agenda, what they're for, the kinds of situations that they want to find their constituents in as it relates to their own health care, I think our agenda and the community health center's agenda is, is really a very closely connected um, strategy for lots of smart Republicans and Democrats in the Congress in the years ahead. Excellent. That is super helpful and insight. Thank you, Amy. Um, and Christy, do you have similar thoughts, different thoughts? Sure. I'd love to hear from you as well. Yeah, I would. I'm going to be a, a short. I think that, you know, I agree with what a lot of Amy said. I think healthcare and specifically Medicaid expansion were the top issues on voters' minds. I think that they 
the repeal and replace efforts and the efforts to per capita cap Medicaid last year, you know, really resonated with people. You know, healthcare is such an issue close to people's hearts. It's affected affects them every day. It's the difference of them being able to go to work or not. And so I think, you know, healthcare is the issue on the exit polls ranked higher than immigration and economy. And leading up to the election, you know, we saw the Republicans focusing a lot on immigration and the economy. But at the end of the day, the Democrats really did stick to their message about health care, specifically pre-existing condition, drug prices, health care cost, safety net. So, I, you know, I think that, you know, we also had some surprises in the, in the races. In the House specifically, I think the Democrats won a couple of seats they weren't expecting in South Carolina and Oklahoma. And a lot of those were moderate Democrats running on, you know, trying to build bipartisan support for these issues, trying to make politics local about what are the people in their community dealing with. And so I'm hopeful that we'll see more of that going forward. We'll see more people running for office that are willing to build bridges. Because I think in order to make Congress work, you have to have both sides of the aisle working together. So I'm looking forward to the next year. I think there's going to be a lot of opportunity to do things in Congress related to health care. I think not only will there be the Community Health Center funding, and I think the Democrats being in charge will mean a lot for that um, in terms of maybe adding some extra funding or figuring out th- new and inventive things that maybe we couldn't have done last funding cycle. But I also feel like that they're going to be looking on how do we stabilize the Affordable Care Act? How do we make sure premiums are not going up? More people are continuing to be insured. Medicaid is continuing to be expanded. So I'm really looking forward to the next two years. Um, So switching gears a little bit from sort of policy issue agenda, I want to talk a little bit about process going forward now. So we know that the elections will lead to over 100 new faces collectively in the House and Senate, but that doesn't happen until after the new year. So Christy, can you maybe talk a little bit about what happens between now and when the new Congress is sworn in? We know there are leadership elections, lots of staff changes. Can you talk a little bit about that process? Sure. I think while new members won't be sworn in until January, we're already starting to see them around town. Um, We just saw the Congresswoman-elect Lauren Underwood from Illinois on Meet the Press this weekend, speaking about what she's going to be doing as a new member of Congress. You know, that's a lot of new offices to staff up. And I think that's going to be take a lot, a little bit of time for them to do. So what we're going to see in November, you know, I think that we're going to see leadership elections happen toward the end of the month. We'll know whether or not Nancy Pelosi is going to be the new Speaker of the House. Um, We'll also see um, people starting to jockey for key committee assignments and specifically for committee chairs. And so we might not know who's on committees until, you know, a couple months into 2019, but we'll start to see who's shaping up. We definitely expect Congressman Pallone to retain energy and commerce, Richard Neal to retain ways and means, Congressman Cummings to also get keep government oversight. You know, we'll also see some shakeup in the Senate in terms of you know, with the Democrats losing a few seats in the Senate, that means the committee, they're going to lose some of their seats on committee. And so for help, the HELP Committee, Health, Education, Labor, and Pensions, we'll see them at least lose one seat, if not two seats on that committee. So we'll be watching all that happen. I think this first key moment, though, is end of November, whether or not uh, Nancy Pelosi is Speaker of the House. And then I think from there, we'll have a pretty good idea of what the agenda will be moving into December and January in the new Congress me anything to add? Very good. Just a couple of of notes on the Republican side of the aisle. So in the Senate, I think the the leadership elections are likely to basically allow the same team to remain in place. One exception to that is 
um, Senator John Cornyn from Texas was holding the whip seat and he is term limited out of that seat. But there's a, an expectation that John Cornyn will continue to be an important figure in the leadership in some capacity, unclear exactly how that will work. But we do expect that uh, Leader McConnell will continue to be the leader. John Thune is expected to rise up and fulfill um, John Cornyn's seat as whip. And then basically everyone below him will rise up a level. So we ex are expecting to see John Barrasso as the conference chairman, um, which would then um, leave open an election, one of the only elections um, in the Senate leadership between Joni Ernst and Deb Fisher for the vice chairman of the conference. And then our good friend Roy Blunt from Missouri is expected to be the policy committee chairman. Again, an important a seat around the leadership table and one that he really relishes and we're eager to see him um, return to that position. In the House, because they have moved on the Republican side from the majority to the minority and because Paul Ryan has already announced his retirement, um, we expect a race between, uh, they've already announced, uh, between Kevin McCarthy of California and Jim Jordan. It's expected that Kevin McCarthy will prevail in that race from California. And then Steve Scalise and his chief deputy whip, um, the existing chief deputy whip, Patrick McHenry, will continue to serve as whip and chief deputy whip. Uh, we do have one change in the House leadership. Kathy McMorris-Rogers of Washington has announced that she will not intend um, to run for the conference again. Instead, um, she's looking to play a greater leadership role at the Energy and Commerce Committee. So we expect to see uh, Liz Cheney from Wyoming that's one thing that I would point out. We've never really seen so much leadership from Wyoming, potentially in the House and Senate. Um, and then amongst the committees um, in the House, you know, we had a lot of folks on the Ways and House Ways and Means Committee either retire, be defeated, or run for higher office. So we do expect to see a vastly different um, set of members on the Republican side on the House Ways and Means Committee. And then on Energy and Commerce, we could see some um, potential changes as well. Although because they've lost the leadership, um, because they are no longer in the majority, they might not even need to fill some of those seats. So we'll be paying close attention there. In the Senate, on the Senate Finance Committee, we expect that they might need to add one or two additional Republican seats and on the Health Committee as well. So we'll stay, um, stay close to those discussions and expect to see those shake out early in the new year. Excellent. I will just add too, as we're talking about new faces, um, in Congress, we here at NAC have been looking through all the election results and are happy to report that many of our health center champions will be returning in the new Congress. Um, one member that we know will not be returning and was a great champion for us last year was uh, Representative David Young from Iowa, um, but hopefully we have someone in his seat who also will take up the reins as a health center champion. Uh, so just wanted to add that. All right, so moving along. Um, we've been talking a lot about the new Congress, but there is a period of time, you know, this month, next month before the new Congress gets in. So maybe, Amy, you can help us out with this next question. Um, we keep hearing this term lame duck a lot. Uh, can you talk about what that is um, and what we can expect to happen legislatively during this time? Absolutely. This will be a very busy time uh, between the end of this Congress and the start of the new Congress. And the term lame duck just really refers to the idea that the folks who are returning from their elections have not, many of them have not been reelected. And so they're basically going to make determinations about the funding for next year and other important issues, even though they will not be in the, in the Congress next year. 
So essentially, there are a couple of items that really have to be determined between now and the end of this Congress. Um, chief among them is really the appropriations bills and making sure that the government continues to be funded. Um, we are operating under what's called the continuing resolution for most of those bills. However, several still remain outstanding, and it will be the top job of the Congress in November and December to come back and resolve the funding for those legislative items that haven't been processed thus far. And chief among them, uh, the president has made very clear that his top priority in the lame duck is to ensure that significant funding is set aside for building the wall on the southern border. Um, we know that that will be a challenging issue for this Congress to take up and perhaps even more challenging because of the new um, Democratic leadership that will be taking control of the House. So there does not seem to be a clear uh, strategy at this point about how to resolve that without seeing a government shutdown. And in fact, we potentially could see a government shutdown on some pieces of the federal appropriations um, legislation. However, I would note that funding for community health centers is done, well established, and so we're in good shape on that front. Um, a couple of other items that we'll be uh, paying attention to, um, some related to healthcare, some not. They intend to try to resolve the farm bill legislation. Uh, and then there are a couple of items on the healthcare front, including uh, pandemic preparedness legislation, potentially PEPFAR, which is foreign aid funding for healthcare. And then there are a number of items that are member priorities, like Senator Hatch was very keen on health savings account uh, and how they're structured. He might attempt to try and make some changes to that um, in the lame duck. However, everything now will have to be done in a bipartisan construct in order to make it across the finish line, I think, in the lame duck session. Thank you, Amy. Christy, anything to add? You know, I think the things that we're keeping an eye out on, the U.S.-Mexico-Canada agreement, the new NAFTA language needs to get finalized by the end of this month. There are some prescription drug-related items in there. So you'll probably hear a lot of conversation on what does that mean for prescription drug prices in the U.S. Um, if the agreement is finalized. And then the other thing is Medicare Part D donut hole. Um, we know that pharma has been asking for Congress to reduce their share of that. Um, and we think that that's going to come up in the lame duck, too, along with some other health provisions to try to couple it with. So I think Amy's right. I think the the new majority that will be in the, the, the House will kind of see the opportunity that they have leveraged there. And so I'm not sure how much deal making there's going to be in the lame duck. And I think, you know, the prior, top priority will be keeping the government funded and keeping things running. The most important, I think, spending bill is probably Department of Homeland Security, um, the one they have to resolve. Amy was referencing the wall funding. So I think that we're going to see a lame duck that's going to be really hectic and a lot of starts and stops. But ultimately, I don't see that they get a lot done legislatively. That's all super helpful, and certainly we'll all be very busy over the next several months. But again, so we've talked a lot about Congress, but there are also some other elections, as Oliver mentioned, on the state level. There were several new governors will be sworn in next year. There are also some ballot initiatives around Medicaid expansion. Christy, can you talk to us a little bit about how things fared in the states? Sure. I think overall we're starting to see more of a balance in the states after this election. We saw a lot of new Democratic governors being elected. Most of them running on healthcare as a major issue. You know, I think some of the races probably gained national attention more than others for obvious reasons. Of course, Georgia, we still don't know the outcome of Georgia yet, but you have two polar opposites running for the office and 
all the news leading up to it related to voter suppression issues. And so I think it'll be really interesting. We may not have some of the um, decisions on Florida and Georgia, particularly for a couple of weeks. Um, I think you you also saw voters responding. I mean, I think Maine is also a really interesting um, outcome. You saw Governor LePage, the current governor, who was basically blocking Medicaid expansion that was done by ballot last year. And now you have, you know, the Republicans lost that seat. And now you're going to have a Democratic governor who's going to say, yes, let's do Medicaid expansion. So I think, you know, all in all, we have a really interesting situation playing out in the states. I think that that means a lot when it comes to national politics, because the governors are going to be the ones who are going to be in the hopper for when we start thinking about 2020 elections, 2022 elections. And, you know, it looks like healthcare is a major priority for them as well. I would just quickly add to that. I agree with Christie's assessment. You know, we did see a couple of Republican governors lose hard-fought battles, and they, in particular, um, wage those fights on the Medicare, on the, excuse me, on the Medicaid front. So I think that's a really interesting turn on the Republican side of the aisle, where uh, historically this has been an issue that Republicans have fought against, and yet in some states they embraced the Medicaid expansion to their benefit. And in other states, they uh, they advocated against it to their detriment. So I believe folks um, will be looking at those results and trying to determine how to manage that issue going forward. Certainly, I think the, you know, the fiscal responsibility argument continues to be very important on the Republican side. So how they can embrace perhaps healthcare in a way that they believe is fiscally responsible, I think will be something people will be taking a look at on the state level. And uh, one thing that we talk about a lot here at NAC is that we've certainly seen this over the last two years, and I think we'll see it continue over the next two years, is that as action in Congress slows down or, you know, we get into a gridlock situation, we'll see the states playing an even more important role. And certainly this changing dynamic with governors and Medicaid expansion, we might see more action continue in the states. So certainly interesting stuff going on there. Okay, so we're going to move on a little bit more to specific health center advocacy. Can you both talk a little bit about what you see the new Congress and their agenda, how that may impact health centers specifically around issues that are of importance to our health centers? So certainly our cliff next year, but also workforce issues, 340B, um, Medicaid issues, anything, you know, that sort of jumps to mind with respect to those issues. Amy, you want to kick us off? Sure, happy to start. So I do think um, some of the main themes that we've talked about previously will continue to be important in the new Congress. I would put drug pricing front and center in that debate. That seems to be an area where potentially there could be some bipartisan consensus, although certainly people also on both sides of the aisle seem to have vastly different views about what fixing drug pricing really means. And so whether or not consensus can be reached, I think will be really important and something that we will pay very close attention to, especially as it relates to the 340B issue. Um, That has historically been managed mostly as an administrative sort of regulatory policy change. I do think there's a potential that Congress could move forward with some changes to that approach um, in a bipartisan way, although I think it would need to look different than certainly the ideas that have been on the table thus far have looked, and it will need to be more balanced and more bipartisan if that is, in fact, um, to move forward. I do think um, we will potentially see changes, again, that will be important from our perspective on the ACA. A lot of the sort of pushback on trying to move forward 
legislation that would stabilize or improve the ACA really came from Republicans in the House. And I do think given the change in leadership, we might finally be able to see some changes in how to stabilize ACA premiums moving forward in a bipartisan way. Um, although that too is not uh, certainly a 100% kind of issue. It's one that would need to continue to be worked on, I think, in a, in a new Congress. And then finally, and perhaps most importantly, our CLIF funding, I think, really looks very positive going forward this cycle. We have done a great job, I think, as a team, ensuring that we always maintain bipartisan support. And, and as many of you know throughout your efforts last year, it has been sometimes more difficult um, than we would like to think it should be. Um, but despite the challenges that we've faced, I think we continue to enjoy that very strong bipartisan support on both sides of the aisle. So I'm very keen and eager to see that move forward and believe that it will move forward in a bipartisan way next cycle. I think our biggest challenge on that front will be making sure we educate folks who are new to Congress who may not be aware about all the great work that community health centers provide in their communities. And so that really will be first and foremost on our agenda, I would think. Christy, anything to add? Yeah, so I, I'm, I'm going to work backwards from where Amy was. So I think on the funding cliff, I think with a Democratic House and a Republican more bipartisan Senate than the House was last the House was this last session of Congress. I think we're going to see deal making when it comes to the funding cliff. I think that there's things both sides want, and they can get them into that bill. They know it has to get done. So I think we'll see a lot of leadership coming out of the House to try to put the bill together early, hopefully, so we won't be in the situation we were last go around where you know things were being delayed and delayed and delayed. So I'm really optimistic about where we are there. And I, I see that there's opportunity to also think bigger. You know, I don't think it's just getting the funding we have, but there might be opportunities where, you know, you can think about what types of expansions might make sense when you're thinking delivery system reform, when you're thinking trying to save healthcare costs. Getting to Amy's other point about prescription drugs, prescription drugs is like a canary in the coal mine for a bigger issue that I think a lot of, that's on a lot of Democrats' minds at least, and I think Republicans too is how do you control unsustainable healthcare cost? And I think a lot of people are thinking about that big issue and how do you deal with it? The ACA wasn't able to deal with it. It was the camel's nose under the tent, but it just didn't go far enough. And so I think for this next year, you're gonna, next two years actually, you're gonna see three things on the House side, the Democrats, that are gonna bring, bring up in terms of healthcare. The first one is prescription drugs and healthcare cost. What can we do to lower prices, um, curb the the bend the curve on the cost in terms of you know sustainable making sure medicare is sustainable in the long run making sure states have the ability to expand medicaid without going bankrupt i think the second piece that you'll see is they're want to see they're going to be looking at how can we make improvements to medicare you know how can we make medicare work better for the beneficiaries that it serves and i think the third piece is affordable care act stabilization you know it's not at this point it's it's not about I think, radically changing the system. You know, we hear a lot about Medicare for all, Medicare buy-in, but our system is at best a patchwork. And so you have to fill, figure out how to fill in the holes, um, how, to, how to like kind of fill in where people need the support the most. And so I think you're going to see the Democratic House at least try to work with, I think, Senator Alexander and Senator Murray over in the Senate to figure out, you know, how do we rebuild the reinsurance programs so that more insurance companies want to offer in the exchanges? 
How do you encourage states to take up Medicaid expansion? And then ultimately, how do you protect consumers um, in terms of maintaining pre-existing condition, essential health benefits so that they have what is quality coverage, you know, that covers what they need without having to go bankrupt. And ultimately, what they're going to try to get to is how do we lower premiums, especially for low-income folks. So I think, you know, there's a lot of opportunity in the health space for this next Congress. And you're, I think you're going to see some legislating on the health side. I think the funding cliff is first piece out, you know, that we we'll might see come to fruition, um, but it won't be everything that affects community health centers. And then in the last, Amy mentioned 340B. 340B program, I think, is in a really interesting space right now. First, I think that you have a bipartisan, bicameral letter um, from this Senate that went over to Health and Human Services and said, you know what, we, ha- you, we gave you regulatory authority. You haven't exercised it yet. Can you get the civil monetary penalty rule done? And so we saw the administration respond. They finalized that rule so that pharmaceutical companies will get in trouble when they're overcharging providers. And I think you'll start to see, um, you won't see the attacks on 340B the same way. I think you'll see the transparency components still come up about how do we like really understand what's happening within the program. But I don't think you'll see, you'll be unlikely to see patient definition come back and things like that. I think we're in a safe space with that right now. One other thing that I neglected to mention that I think is probably worth noting, and that is, uh, it's not sort of directly related to the issue, but healthcare will certainly come up in the context of the discussion. And that is, historically, we've been operating under sort of a two-year by two-year kind of budget agreement that's done in a bipartisan way, provides a framework under which we fund our government. And that is scheduled to expire at the end of 2019. So we expect that there will also be another attempt to form another two-year budget cap agreement And as a part of that, I know that the Republican position will likely be to insist on paying for offsetting part of that uh, additional funding that will be required to get that agreement done. So I do think we'll see negotiations over offsets and how do you fund a new budget agreement um, in a way that could potentially significantly impact healthcare and could be very contentious. Mm -hmm. Um, So while we've been largely focusing on optimism and happy areas where we think there's potential for bipartisanship, I do think we would be remiss not to mention that there is certainly a potential that because we have divided government, because we have a president um, who is controversial with some, that we might find ourselves in situations where it's difficult um, to make sure that bipartisan legislation can move forward. And a CAPS deal is certainly one of those areas that could potentially uh, be fraught with partisan peril. So we'll keep a close eye on that as well. I think one other thing to think about is what happens to the tax reform. You know, as part of the deal, you know, the Democrats have the argument to say, well, you increase the deficit with the tax reform bill. And so I think we're going to go after the second version or next phase, I guess, of tax reform. Um, That won't happen. But I think there will be a conversation about do we pull back on some of those cuts that may not have been necessary to try to make some deals around it, what Amy was saying. So it'll be interesting. You know, I don't think anything's ever easy in a split Congress. I, but I do think there's more opportunity in this makeup of the Democratic House and what, what looks like a very bipartisan Senate on most days. 
um, that, that does work together. You do have a lot of good relationships across the aisle. At Murray and Alexander in particular, I think. And then mm-hmm. we think Grassley will be chair of finance, Grassley and Wyden. You know, what can they do together? Um, and they have share, some shared interest. So everything's going to be always unpredictable in D.C. And I think, you know, we kind of been dancing around it. But ultimately, that's the most unpredictable piece of this puzzle is how is Trump going to respond to a Democratic House um, and what they want to do and what their agenda will be? Um, and then how's he going to respond to, you know, having to deal with new leadership? So I think that's, we've been talking about it a little bit here and there, but I think ultimately that's what I see as the biggest wild card is how's Trump going to respond to the election ultimately. Mm -hmm. And and along those lines, we know that if there is uh, a lack of consensus on issues, we know that in the past HHS has been willing to step in and issue regulations. So Mm -hmm. we might see even an increased willingness to jump in on healthcare policy and will the Democrats then you know, respond to that? And and if so, how? Mm -hmm. Certainly there's already been activity, I think, on the HHS front that Democrats are probably chomping at the bit to to respond to. So I think we'll see action in that space too, I would would assume. Yeah. So I think, you know, one thing that we, you know, I, I, I neglected to mention is probably the most powerful thing the House Democrats have is oversight capability now. They actually can subpoena. And so I think that changes the dynamics. They have to judiciously use that authority. They can't do everything. And they'll have to make some really tough decisions early on about how much do they want to look into what's going on with this administration and how are they going to use that to maybe go after drug pricing. And so they could use that subpoena power very easily to say, we're going to focus on what the private market is failing to do to help to have a competitive pharmaceutical market. So it'll be, they'll have to make those decisions. Those will be tough decisions. And if they want to get something done, that oversight authority will help lay some groundwork from the legislative work that needs to be done because they can lay out their case of why it's important to go down certain paths. I think that we're already seeing the administration respond. You know, I I felt like they kind of saw this coming, right? They saw the election coming. And the week before the election or two weeks before the election, they laid out a potential reform in Medicare on drug pricing that looks like a Democratic proposal from 2015, actually. So, um, you know, I think that they're they're starting, at least at the, on the CMS side of the House um, and HHS, I think they're starting to say, you know, where, where should we really be headed? Um, I think that proposal was a huge surprise. I think some of the other proposals they've put out um, some of the demonstration projects that they've been putting out and supporting. They just expand the diabetes prevention program again. Um, we're seeing a lot of state innovation models. They're they're going to be willing to to try to work, I think, with this Congress because they know they'll need to in order to kind of keep things moving along. Lots to come and lots to keep on top of, but so appreciate you guys giving us the lay of the land. I do have one more question. I think we've sort of touched around a lot of the edges of this um, already, but if there is anything that you haven't talked about as far as either the new Congress's healthcare agenda coming up next year, or just like, what are some of the big things on Congress's agenda? I think there's the debt ceiling that's coming up. Um, Anything else that we should just be sort of aware of um, as we head into next year? I think one of the most interesting things, Pelosi made a speech on Tuesday um, after most of the elections were called. And it, it was her setting out an aggressive agenda. So, you know, I think she mentioned infrastructure. I do anticipate infrastructure will be 
right out the gate. I think that'll be one of the earlier um, pieces of reform they'll try to get done because a lot of people win with infrastructure and, and a lot of things can be in it. And sorry to interrupt, but a transportation bill that expires next year as well. Mm-hmm. So that could provide an opportunity for bipartisan consensus on infrastructure mm-hmm. spending. And then I think the other things she mentioned, in addition to the healthcare pieces we mentioned, but the other items she mentioned were immigration reform. You know, I think they will try to figure out what to do with the DACA and what can be done on that. And if there's any space to to work with Republicans, I think that one will be harder than infrastructure or healthcare yeah. to resolve. And then the last one was campaign and um, ethics reform. Um, so that'll be an interesting one, too. I, again, I think that one's going to be difficult. Um, but, it, you know, I feel pretty good about infrastructure and healthcare as being things that they might be able to get across the finish line in some form. We should just temper expectations. You know, I think when you think of the healthcare, it's going to be, you know, what can they get some Republicans to support? So I think it's going to be, you know, not huge reforms, not a lot of money, but it's going to be something. And that's something will make a difference, especially going into 2020 elections. Well, and one of the things that I'll be watching, certainly, I think, is maybe not an issue, but a dynamic to look out for. And that is having seen this on the Republican side, where Republicans really had to manage their strong base and their Freedom Caucus members, hearing Leader Pelosi, soon to be Leader Pelosi's um, agenda. Will and she's. It sounds like she really is trying to determine, you know, a path forward that mm-hmm. can be bipartisan and consensus oriented. But how will she be able to manage that base of her party? And as Christy said, will they be able to set aside, you know, questions like Medicare for all, or will it be tougher to manage the expectations around oversight and the president? So I mm-hmm. think those are dynamics that um, that all of us will be watching next year as well. And now I want to turn it over to my colleague, Elizabeth, to talk a little bit about what health center advocates can be doing over the next couple months as we prepare for the next Congress. Elizabeth, can you share a little bit about what advocates should be doing post-elections and after the new Congress is sworn in? And then maybe talk a little bit about what advocates should be doing in their state with new governors and new legislators. Sure. That's a lot of questions. So I will take them one at a time. And again, Amy and Christy, feel free to jump in if there's something that I missed. First, if you don't already know, I think find out if you have a new representative or senator um, and do some homework. Now is the time to figure out what their priorities are or might be when they get to D.C. in January, if they haven't made plans to come earlier than that. Um, And I know we usually advise folks to stay away from anything campaign related in our advocacy legalese guidance, Um, but you can check out their campaign website for helpful information because they're still trying to figure out you know, who their staff's going to be, where their office is, as Oliver sometimes says, you know, where the bathroom is, mm-hmm. um, those kinds of things. So that will be a helpful resource for you. Um, wanted to let folks know that we are putting together a new member toolkit that you can use to reach out and introduce yourself and provide some of that basic educational information that Amy mentioned is going to be incredibly important in the coming months. Um, if you engaged with candidates or already have an established relationship with your new member, um, please let us know. NAC runs a key contact program that pairs advocates with congressional offices that they already have a good relationship with. Um, and we really work to engage that grass tops, as I call it, uh, group of advocates on targeted and time-sensitive advocacy initiatives. Um, so please do let us know if you have a new member that you already know and have a, a good working relationship with. 
I think in terms of after the new Congress is sworn in, largely the same. Um, introduce yourself, provide background on health centers. Um, but if you'll be coming to the Policy and Issues Forum in March, that is a great hook. So let folks know that you'll be in town and would love to meet with the member or their staff um, on Hill Day, which, spoiler, is Thursday, March 28th, for those keeping track. Um, and then switching gears, I think, to the state side, new governors, you know, new state legislators and new Medicaid directors, really the same as for your congressional delegation. Um, figure out who these folks are, introduce yourself. As Michaela said, with potential for gridlock here in D.C., um, you may see more action at the state level anyway. And as we have in the past, we'll be looking to advocates to engage state level, state level elected officials in conversations about the funding cliff um, and have them weigh in with Congress. So stay tuned for specific asks in the coming weeks and months um, for how to engage your state uh, elected officials. Um, and as always, when you're working at the state level, will certainly be important to coordinate any advocacy activities with your primary care association. Um, and if you're not sure who that is in your state, please be in touch with us and we can get you connected with the right people. Thanks so much, Elizabeth. And Amy or Christy, any other tips or tricks for our advocates? You know, the only thing I would encourage you to do, we have a lot of new freshmen in Congress in 2019, and we will have a lot of new staff and they will have. And so I think, you know, just taking the opportunity to get to know them and figuring out what their interests are. And I guarantee most of them probably don't know all the work community health centers do. So just kind of making sure that being there is a resource to answer questions when they need it, invite them to your health center, you know, so they can see you work at, like your work in action. I think that'll make a huge difference. You know, I also I should mention, we've mentioned some of the musical chairs on the committees. Um, you know, maybe these freshmen won't be on energy and commerce, this this session of Congress, that they may be next session of Congress. So cultivating those relationships early will make a huge difference. I totally agree. I would just add, you know, finding a way to engage with these members on an issue that's important to them. So maybe they've been a big Medicaid advocate, or perhaps they care a lot about veterans or um, uninsured pregnant women. Pick pick the issue that they've advocated about in their campaign and find a way to engage them on that front so they can understand the value that we provide in the in the priorities that they've established for themselves. Well, thank you both so much. Thank you to our team here at NAC. That's a wrap for today on our inaugural podcast. Uh, thank you, Amy and Christy, for joining us today to recap the midterm elections. Uh, thank you, Health Center Advocates, for tuning in. We'll be in touch with our new member toolkit that Elizabeth just mentioned. Um, and in the meantime, don't hesitate to reach out with any questions.